I'd like to have you turn to Hebrews chapter 12, if you would. Hebrews chapter 12, I told you Sunday, we're going to take a break from our Matthew series. I want to do just a quick message, one message, I should say, on the kingdom. We've talked a lot about the kingdom in the book of Matthew and also in the book of Hebrews and the book of Acts. Uh, And so I thought it'd be good for us tonight to kind of regroup and and focus on that for a minute. Um, This is probably one of the most important doctrines of the Word of God. Uh, And I, I would almost go to say it is the most important doctrine of the Word of God. I remember when I learned this years ago and really kind of began to understand what the whole idea of the kingdom was about, uh, I realized it ties the entire Word of God together. You're going to see, hopefully, if I present this right tonight and Satan doesn't get in the way, you're going to see how this this idea of the kingdom starts in the book of Genesis and runs clear through the book of Revelation, and everything that goes on in the Word of God is somehow attached to this doctrine, this doctrine of the kingdom. I'd like to begin, like I say, in Hebrews chapter 12. So look at chapter 12, uh, beginning in verse 25. So Hebrews twelve twenty five. It says, See that you refuse not him that speaketh. For if they escaped not who refused him that spake on earth, much more shall we not escape if we turn away from him that speaketh from heaven, whose voice then shook the earth, but now he hath promised, saying, Yet once more I shake not the earth only, but also heaven. And this word, yet once more, signifieth the removing of those things that are shaken, as of things that are made, that those things which cannot be shaken may remain. Wherefore, verse 28, we receiving a kingdom which cannot be, cannot be moved, let us have grace whereby we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear, for our God is a consuming fire. Now you notice there in verse 28, he speaks of a kingdom that cannot be moved. That kingdom he's talking about there is a future kingdom. That kingdom is not on earth yet. That is a kingdom that, that is coming someday. And God's plan from start to finish is this kingdom, this idea of this kingdom. And as we see where this, how this kingdom applies in Scripture, we begin to see how we fit into the plan of God, how the entire plan of God surrounds this thing. Uh, that doctrine, as I say, of the kingdom runs from Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. We'll see that uh, right through Revelation 22. And so that's where we're going to focus our attention tonight. I will tell you we're not going to cover all of it. There's so much more we could do about this. These are simply highlights of this doctrine. Hopefully, if you not, do not have an outline, I'd encourage you to run back there and grab yourself an outline. Uh, on that outline, I've left, uh, I've given you the main points, then I've left space between them. That way, if you want to throw some notes on there of your own, you've got some space on that outline to do that. So that's why it's a front and back outline tonight. I've given you some space to put your own notes on there if you'd like. So these are the highlights of this doctrine tonight. That's all we can do. But when we're finished, if I do this right, I believe you're going to walk away with an entirely new understanding of God's Word and a new appreciation for the Word of God as a result. So I'd like you to turn to two places, if you would. Turn to Matthew chapter 19 and Luke chapter 18. Matthew chapter 19 and Luke chapter 18. Grab both of those places, and we're going to read Matthew chapter 19 verse uh, first. When you get there, we're going to look at verse 14. So Matthew chapter 19, verse 14. And then Luke chapter 18. We'll get there in just a second. Matthew chapter 19, verse 14. But Jesus says, Suffer little children and forbid them not, to come unto me, for of such is the kingdom of heaven. If you underline in your Bible, you might want to underline kingdom of heaven. Now go to Luke chapter 18 and look at verse 16. Luke chapter 18, verse 16. Uh, but Jesus called them unto him and said, Suffer little children, little children to come unto me, and forbid them not, for of such is the kingdom of God. So underline that if you're in the habit of underlining your Bible, the kingdom of God. In those two verses, you have the two kingdoms mentioned that are throughout the Scripture, the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of God. 
Now, many teach otherwise, but I truly believe the Bible is clear in telling us those are two different kingdoms. Those are not the same kingdoms. And we know that by our tried and true method. They are spelled differently. (laughs) Heaven is spelled H-E-A-V-E-N. God is spelled G-O-D. They are not the same thing. They are two different things. Heaven is a real, literal place. It actually exists. And someday you and I are going to be in that place. We're going to see and we're going to feel heaven. So the kingdom of heaven refers to a real, physical, literal kingdom. When you see kingdom of heaven in Scripture, it's talking about the literal kingdom that will someday be on this earth. The Bible tells us in John chapter 4 and verse 24 that God is a spirit. Therefore, the kingdom of God is not a physical kingdom. The kingdom of God is a spiritual kingdom. God is a spirit. So you have two spirits. You have one that is a physical kingdom and one that is a spiritual kingdom. The kingdom of heaven is that kingdom that is on this earth. It's a physical kingdom that people have ruled since governments began. And that is what kings and soldiers and rulers have fought over and died over to try and gain control of. The kingdom of God exists inside us. You are born into that kingdom the moment you are saved. Luke 17, 21 says uh, the kingdom of God is within you. So the kingdom of God is not an outward physical kingdom. The kingdom of God is an inward spiritual kingdom. Now, they are not the same thing, but as I've showed you in the two verses we just read from Matthew and Luke, they can sometimes be used interchangeably. They have similar characteristics in some ways. But in many ways also, they are very, very different. And I hope as we go through this tonight, we're going to see the differences and also the importance of those differences. But the point to remember again, and I'm not belaboring it, I'm saying it because it's so important, the kingdom of heaven is a physical kingdom, and the kingdom of God is a spiritual kingdom. Now, with that in mind, turn to the first book of your Bible, the very first verse of your Bible, go to Genesis chapter 1 and look at verse 1. Genesis chapter 1 and verse 1. In this verse, you are well aware that we have the beginning of all things. And you'll notice what it says there, in the beginning, God. There you have the supreme ruler. There you have the sovereign God. He is over all things. God is almighty. God is everlasting. God is perfect. God is sinless. And God is the absolute dictator over his creation. He is the king. Now, what is he king over? He is king over two kingdoms. He is, first of all, king over the kingdom of heaven. Again, notice the verse. It says, in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. God made physical things. God made all the physical things that we see. If he created those things, then he is ruler over all those things. But he is also, again, ruler over the kingdom of God. I read you John chapter 4 and verse 24. God is a spirit. Therefore, because God is a spirit and because God is infinite and because God is sovereign, he also is ruler over the kingdom of God as well. So he is everything spiritual is under God's control because God is a spirit. So God rules with two crowns. One for the kingdom of heaven and the other one for the kingdom of God. And as ruler over the kingdom of heaven, God can delegate authority and power to whoever he chooses to because it's his kingdom. And what God did, as you are aware, I'm sure, God created beings to inhabit the kingdom. Job 38 calls them the sons of God. They are spirit beings. They're also called angels. They existed before Adam and Eve and were created by God to rule over his kingdom. So God creates this universe to display his power and glory. God creates these beings to inhabit and to rule the kingdom. At this point, the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of God are existing together. They're not the same thing, but they're existing side by side in harmony with each other. 
And God then takes somebody to put over that kingdom, his second in command, to rule over both kingdoms. Who was that? Go to the book of Isaiah. Hold your hand there in Genesis. We'll get back there. Uh, Go to the book of Isaiah. Look at Isaiah chapter 14. Isaiah chapter 14. Who did God place over these kingdoms? Who did God place as his second in command over the kingdoms that he had made? Isaiah chapter 14. We're going to look at verse 12. Isaiah 14, verse 12. The Bible says there, How art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? How art thou cut down to the ground which didst weaken the nations? For thou hast said in thine heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit also upon the mount of the congregation in the sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the Most High. Yet thou shalt be brought down to hell to the sides of the pit. Please notice it says there, Satan, as he's considering overthrowing God, he says, I will exalt my throne. He has a throne. God placed him on a throne as ruler over the kingdoms. We find in the book of Ezekiel, chapter 24 and verse 18, that Satan is called the cherub that covereth. He is the spiritual being that covers all the kingdoms, both two kingdoms that God has created. God put him over those kingdoms, and God put him over the beings that he created to fill those kingdoms. So again, Satan was God's second in command, and he had more power than any being on earth other than God himself. But something happened. Satan wasn't happy with his position. Satan didn't want to be second in command. He wanted to be first in command. He didn't like the throne that he had. He wanted God's throne instead. And so with the I wills of Isaiah chapter 14, uh, as, you re- as we read there, I will, I will, I will, I will, uh, Satan with those I wills attempted to overthrow God, but he failed. He couldn't do it. Obviously, he couldn't do it. He attempted to take over, but he couldn't accomplish that. And so God throws Satan out of heaven and re- removes all those beings that went along with him during that takeover. Now, I personally believe, I know there's debate about this, and we're not going to debate this topic tonight. I believe that all that happened between Genesis 1-1 and Genesis 1-2. God removes Satan from heaven and places him somewhere in the outer darkness. But God is not going to stop what he set out to do. God's plan is not stopped just because Satan tried to mess it up. Satan turned out to be an unsuitable king, so God says, I need a new king. Go back to the book of Genesis now again, if you would. Genesis chapter 2. God decides, obviously, Satan is not the king, and God throws him out as a result of his rebellion. So God decides he's going to make himself another king. Look at Genesis chapter 2 and look at verse 7. And the Lord God formed a man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. God makes another man. God makes, rather, God makes a man, and that man is Adam. His new king is Adam. Hebrews chapter 6, uh, 2, verse 6. You don't need to turn there. I'll read these to you. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 6. But one in a certain place testified, saying, What is man that thou art mindful of him, or the son of man that thou visitest him? Thou madest him a little lower than the angels. Thou crownest him, man has a crown, with glory and honor, and did set him over the works of thy hands. Thou hast put all things in subjection under his feet. For in that he put all in subjection under him, he left nothing that is not put under him. Now we see not yet all things put under him. So what it says there is God made man, God made him lower than the angels, but he crowned him and put him over the works of his hands. So in that we see that God has now placed Adam over the earth and all the earth is subject to him. 
You remember that he was king. First of all, I should say he was king over the kingdom of God because God called him a son of God. That was Adam's name in Matthew. He's called the son of God. He was a son of God. God made him. His direct lineage was to God himself. He is king over the kingdom of heaven also. Look at Genesis chapter 1 and look at verse 26. Genesis 1, 26, And God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the fowl of the air, and over the cattle, and over all the earth, all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him. Male and female created he them. And God blessed them, and God said unto them, Be fruitful, and multiply, and replenish the earth, and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the fowl of the air, and over everything that that moveth upon the earth. So you'll see there, when God made man, God gave him dominion over the physical earth, the physical things that were on that earth. So as a son of God, he is king over the, the kingdom of God. As that one that God has placed in dominion over all the earth, he is also now king over the kingdom of heaven. So God's plan is back in action again. The kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of God are operating side by side, and God has designated a ruler over them, that one being Adam. And there is no sin, and there is no sorrow, and there is no violence. Those kingdoms are running just like God created them to run. Only one problem, Satan's back. Satan's not happy with being dethroned. He's not happy with being deposed. He wants that authority. He wants that power. He wants his crown back. And now he sees Adam as the direct threat to getting that crown back again, regaining what he sees as rightfully his. And so Satan attacks what he believes to be the weak link. He doesn't go after Adam. He goes after Eve. He tempts her with becoming like one of the gods and says she'll have more power or even than Adam has, if she'll just uh, take her the fruit. And now, maybe she'll become new ruler of the kingdom, Satan says, whispers in her ear, I'm sure. Maybe you'll be the new ruler. Maybe you'll even depose Adam, and you'll be the one in charge. And because pride is the basis of every sin, she falls for Satan's lies, and she gives in to it. Adam sees what happens, and Adam goes along with her as well, and he also gives in. And when Adam gives in to Satan, he loses both crowns. He is no longer a king over either one. Sin has caused spiritual death. His spirit died that moment. He can't be king over the kingdom of God with a dead spirit. And since the kingdom of God is a spiritual kingdom, he can't rule over that anymore. And since sin passes on to all people, there is no one after Adam that can rule over the kingdom of God either because sin has permeated the entire creation. So at that point, the, the kingdom of God disappears because there's no rightful ruler over that. But Satan, Adam also loses the crown to the kingdom of heaven. Why do I say that? God removed him from the garden. God took him out. You can't be here anymore. You can't rule here anymore because you've sinned, and I can't have a sinful creature ruling over my kingdom. And so God takes him out. Sin passes on to all people. This kingdom of God is gone. God removes Adam from the garden, and therefore he is no longer over the kingdom of heaven. So who gets control control of that kingdom? Who now takes control of the kingdom since Adam is no longer there? There's only one contender, and that's Lucifer. Man abdicated control to Lucifer by giving in to the temptation. What mankind did when they gave in to that temptation, they put uh, Satan over them. They made him in charge and agreed to what he said. And by doing that, they are now under his control. 
And therefore, the kingdom is now under his control as well. So the kingdom of God goes to God, and the kingdom of heaven comes back under the control of the God of this world, Satan himself. And from that time on, mankind gains power in this kingdom by submitting to the will of Lucifer. He is over all of it. To get ahead in this world system, a person must play by Satan's rules. Power and fame and fortune in this kingdom come to those who will conform themselves to Satan's plan. Why do you think what's going on out there in our world today, in the governments today, politically across the world? It's because they've got to do that to hold on to power. They've got to submit themselves to him. Uh, that is what the system now is all about. Satan rules. Satan rules. And history from Adam until Jesus Christ is a battle between God and Satan over who's going to rule this physical kingdom, the kingdom of heaven. Satan, by default, rules the kingdoms of this world. God continues to bring in men and women, or men mostly who he has chosen, to be rulers over this creation. Every war that has been fought, every takeover of every government that has occurred since then is, in essence, a battle over the kingdom of heaven. And when you went to school when you were a kid and you looked at all those history books and they took you through all those wars that went on from the very from when time began until now, it's all a battle over this physical kingdom. Who's going to be in charge? Who gets to rule? That's what it's all about. So it's always been about. Every war that has been fought, every takeover of every government that has occurred is a battle over the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of God is with God and the kingdom of heaven is the battleground on this earth. Now, we don't have time to look at all the Old Testament history that involves the kingdom of heaven. But we do need to look at one man that God placed in control of the kingdom of heaven at one point in time. You're in the book of Genesis. Go to chapter 12. Go to Genesis chapter 12. Genesis chapter 12. And when you get there, we're going to begin reading in verse 1. Genesis chapter 12 and verse 1. Now, the Lord had said unto Abram, Get thee out of thy country, and from thy kindred, and from thy father's house, unto a land that I will show thee. And I will make of thee a great nation, and I will bless thee, and make thy name great, and thou shalt be a blessing. And I will bless them that bless thee, and curse him that curseth thee, and in thee shall all families of the earth be blessed. Here's a man by the name of Abram, later called Abraham. And right here we see in that passage, God has placed Abraham in authority over the kingdom. God has placed him in charge. And notice what he promises him in verse 3. He promises him that from that point on, the kingdom will always be yours. It will exist in your family forever. Your seed can lay claim to the kingdom of heaven forever. And all families of the earth will be blessed by this nation that God has placed in charge of the kingdom of heaven. Who is his seed? Well, you know who his seed is. His seed are all the Jews that have lived from that time forward. They all live with the promise that the Messiah will come someday. And when he comes, he will set up that kingdom and he will reign over them in that kingdom. Those Jews, the nation of Israel, will have first place in God's earthly kingdom. That's what God said in Genesis chapter 12. And that is a history you see all through the book of 1st, 2nd, 2nd Samuel and 1st and 2nd Kings and 1st and 2nd Chronicles and Ezra and Nehemiah and right on through. That's what you see. You see God's earthly kingdom being ruled by God's nation, the one he has chosen, the nation of Israel. God's earthly kingdom is Israel's history. And you'll read it in all six of those books, especially Samuel, Kings and Chronicles. You'll read that history. 
Now, men come and go, kings come and go as they appear in the nation. And some of those kings are good kings, and some of those kings are evil kings. And all the while that's going on, as you read Samuel and Kings and Chronicles, what you see is Satan battling to control the earthly kingdom of heaven. Trying to control that, get that away from them. God has given it to them. He's trying to get it away. And two to three thousand years of human history, uh, that's what went on. That battle over that kingdom as the Jews try to hold on to it and Satan tries to get it back. In 3,000 years after that time, a man pops up in history. He's a fellow who comes out of the wilderness. He's covered with animal skins. He's eating locusts and wild honey. And what is his message? His message is, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. He says, there's a kingdom coming. And that is the message that the Jews had longed to hear. Those Jews from the time of Abraham until the time of John the Baptist, they're waiting for that Messiah to show up. They're waiting for that one to come who's going to set up that kingdom on this earth. They are tired of Roman rule. They're tired of being oppressed. They want to get out from under all of that. And John pops out of the wilderness and he gives them the exact message that they want to hear. The king is coming. In fact, the king is here. Let's get this thing started. The problem is that wasn't all they heard. It wasn't all they heard. When John introduces Jesus Christ the next day, he introduces him how? As the Lamb of God, the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. They heard the kingdom of heaven is a hand and they grabbed onto that message. And now he says there's a Lamb of God who's going to take away the sin of the world. And you can almost imagine the Jews reaction as they hear that. They don't care about somebody taking away their sin. They want somebody to set up a kingdom. They want somebody to take care of the Roman rule. Over the years, they lost track of all the moral concerns. They had forgotten of the warnings that the prophets had told them regarding their sin. They weren't doing the sacrifices anymore. They weren't following the law anymore. They were making up their own law as they went along. The last thing they want to hear is anybody coming onto the scene and talking to them about their sin. But the more they listen to Jesus Christ... The more they hear his message, they realize he isn't coming just to set up a, a physical kingdom, an earthly kingdom. He is coming also to take over the private, personal, inner lives of those people as well. He's not claiming authority just over the kingdom of heaven. He is also claiming authority over that spiritual kingdom, the kingdom of God as well. In fact, look at Matthew chapter 4 if you would. Go to Matthew chapter 4 and look at verse 17. Matthew chapter 4 and verse 17. And look at what it says there. Matthew chapter 4 verse 17. What was Jesus' message to those Jews as he showed up that day? Matthew chapter 4 verse 17. It says, from that time, Jesus began to preach and to say, repent, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. In Mark chapter 1 verse 14, the Bible says this. Now, after that John was put in prison... Jesus came into Galilee preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God and saying the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent ye and believe the gospel. Jesus says there's a kingdom for you. In fact, both kingdoms are here for you. But in order to get those kingdoms, what do you have to do? You've got to repent. You've got to repent. Their spiritual lives have to be brought into line first. Before they can get either kingdom, they've got to get their spiritual lives back in place. So here comes this new king. He comes to take over that throne that has existed now for over 4,000 years. As the son of man, he can lay claim to the kingdom of heaven. As the son of God, he can lay claim to the kingdom of God. 
So here presented to the world is the second Adam, according to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. He has come to do what the first Adam failed to do. The first Adam was given both kingdoms, and he sinned and lost them both. Here comes the second Adam, and he has now come to do what the second Adam couldn't do. He'll lay claim on both those kingdoms and rule over both those kingdoms because he has God's blood coursing through his veins. He is the only one able to do it. Nobody else can. And Satan is now aware there's a new foe on the scene. And this is a formidable foe. Satan realizes that if Jesus Christ maintains what he set out to do, he'll lose authority over the kingdom and he'll lose it forever. So what does he do? Well, you know what he does in Matthew chapter 4. He challenges Jesus Christ. He gets Jesus Christ into the wilderness and he says to him what? Fall down and worship me and I'll give you the kingdom if you'll just come under my authority. Same thing he told Eve way back in Genesis chapter 3. <laughs> Just fall under my authority and you'll be like a God. He says to Jesus Christ, just fall under my authority and you'll, I'll give you the kingdom if you will. But Jesus Christ is not Eve and Jesus Christ is not Adam, the first Adam. He responds to Satan's attack by the word of God and he will not bow and Satan is defeated. The only one who could challenge him for the throne and he's defeated him squarely. Now, all that's left to do is take over the throne and begin his reign. But the Jews rejected him. <laughs> the Jews rejected him. It was there. It was right there for him. When he defeated Satan, everything that needed to be done was taken care of. He could assume that throne. He could take care of it. But you see, the Jews rejected him. They didn't reject both kingdoms. They wanted the kingdom of heaven. They wanted that earthly kingdom. It had been rightly promised to them way back in Genesis chapter 12. 3,000 years they waited for it. What they rejected was the kingdom of God. That's what they rejected. They didn't want any part of a spiritual kingdom that the Lord intended to set up. They didn't want any part of a kingdom that dealt with their souls and dealt with their sin and dealt with their moral behavior. They didn't want to repent. That was not in the plans. So what they do, they turn their back on their Messiah because of that. You see, all the Jews wanted again was a ruler who would come and set up their kingdom and put them in it. What they didn't realize, that kingdom could never be established until mankind was restored back to their original image of God. That was not a physical process. That was a spiritual process. That had to happen first. Before Jesus Christ could set that kingdom up, he needed them back in the garden again before sin came. That's where he needed them. And the only way to do that was to get their souls right and to get their sin taken care of and get them to repent. That's not what they wanted. That had to happen first. And so what that meant was they'd had to wait a little longer for the establishment of their kingdom. It also meant they had established all these traditions and all these rules, and they were in charge of all these things, and they wanted all that to be a part of their kingdom. They wanted to be in charge. We talked about that last Thursday night. They wanted the authority. And Jesus Christ says, you can't do it that way. If you're going to accept this kingdom, you've got to do it on my terms. <laughs> got to do it my way. And so Jesus Christ gives them fair warning. He says, if you reject me, you're going to get your kingdom postponed. If you reject me, you're going to lose your kingdom for this time. Unless you realize your moral obligation to God and receive the Messiah who will change you on the inside and change you spiritually, unless you accept that, you're going to lose your kingdom. It's going to be postponed for you. And their response, crucify him, crucify him. <laughs> kill him, kill him. That's what the response. And as a result of that choice, the Jews voluntarily give up their literal, physical, visible kingdom on this earth. They lost control of it. 
And as the true king of the kingdom dies on the cross, the kingdom goes with him. Israel is the rightful heir to that kingdom. And if they refuse it, nobody gets it. I want to say that to you again, folks. This is Israel's kingdom. It is nobody else's kingdom. It is not the Roman Catholic Church's kingdom. It is not any church's kingdom. It's not some other governmental authority. It's not their kingdom. It's the Jews' kingdom. And that's never changed. And it never will change. Never will change. So the king dies on the cross. They refuse their kingdom. And they refuse, they will not get their kingdom, the Bible tells us, until the fullness of time has come. And a change occurs from that point on. The focus is no longer on the kingdom of heaven. The focus is now on the kingdom of God. The kingdom of heaven goes up and another kingdom comes down. And now the focus becomes spiritual, not physical. If you refuse the spiritual, you lose the physical kingdom. We've got to get the spiritual right first. And so God takes the kingdom of heaven away and places the kingdom of God back down on this earth because the spiritual problem of mankind must be addressed first. And what do we have? We have the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And with that action being completed, God begins the process of creating perfect spiritual beings that he intended to exist in the kingdom before Adam sinned. The process just starts again. With Jesus Christ dying, the way is now clear for that image to be restored again. And so those who trust Jesus Christ as Savior have that spirit revived, uh, that soul is cut away from the body, and therefore God has his perfect spiritual beings on earth once again in in the likeness of the church. So Jesus Christ dies on a cross. The third day he rises again. Acts 1.8, he gives the disciples their commission. What does he say? Ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost parts of the earth. What are they preaching? Not the gospel of the kingdom, not repent for the kingdom of heaven is a hand. That's not it at all. The kingdom of heaven is no longer the issue. They're to go everywhere preaching the gospel of salvation by Jesus Christ. That's the message. A spiritual kingdom is now being preached. And it's a message not just for Jews, and but also for Gentiles as well. And as time goes on, and we won't go through that tonight, but if you look through the book of Acts, you know that as time goes on, the, Je- the Jews begin to reject and reject and reject, and the Gentiles accept and accept and accept. And pretty soon, the gospel of salvation is being preached to the Gentiles because they're willing to hear it. They're willing to hear it. Uh, Acts chapter 28, verse 31. Go there if you would. Go to Acts chapter 28. We'll just take you quickly through the whole Bible. How's that sound? Acts chapter 28. And look if you would at verse 31. Acts chapter 28, verse 31. The last verse of the book of Acts, I believe. I haven't gotten there yet, but I'm sure that, yep. Acts 8, 28, 31, the last verse. Look at what it says. And let's start at verse 30. And Paul dwelt two whole years in his own hired house and received all that came in unto him Preaching the kingdom of God, preaching the spiritual kingdom and teaching those things which concern the Lord Jesus Christ with all confidence, no man forbidding him. Paul is not preaching about a physical, literal kingdom. He's preaching the kingdom of God. Romans chapter 14, verse 17 says, for the kingdom of God is not meat and drink, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. The kingdom of heaven goes up. The Jews reject it. They've got to wait for it. Satan now takes over again as ruler of this world, and the message of the kingdom of God becomes the focus of the church age. I'm sure you know this, but just to let you know, when you got saved, you were placed into the kingdom of God. That's where God puts you. You see, our message tonight is not one of, preach, uh, is not one of bringing in an earthly kingdom. 
Our message is one of bringing folks into the spiritual kingdom through faith in Jesus Christ. Most religions today are not sharing that focus. Most messages being taught in churches today are focused on the physical and not on the spiritual. Most ministers today believe that it's their job to try and make the world a better place so that God's kingdom will be established on this earth. So most churches today involve themselves in community efforts and social causes in in an attempt to make this world a better place to live in. Now, those aren't necessarily bad things to do, but listen to me, that is not the main focus of the church. That's not what the church is called to do. We are not here to improve the conditions of the world. We are here to change the conditions of the souls of men. That's our that's our calling. We are here to bring spiritual change, not physical change. We can change things physically all we want to, and people still die and go to hell. <laughs> you got to change them spiritually. Unless we understand the doctrine and the differences in the kingdoms, we'll get confused in our message as a result, and that's what's happening out there. That's what's happening. Our purpose is to work to bring men and women back into the image of Adam, and that is done through spiritual heart change. The reason you're out there on... Wednesdays with those signs, the reason you're on visitation on Tuesday nights, the reason you're going into those nursing homes, folks, it's not to change the world. It's change hearts, change hearts through the gospel of Jesus Christ, through the scripture that God has given us. That's our calling. So if we're not careful, we'll get caught up in that. Be very careful. We can use physical need to get the gospel out, but the physical need is not the end result in itself. It's getting people to see Jesus Christ by meeting some need for them. So where does this all wind up? Well, as you are well aware, one day the church is going to be raptured out. And when the church leaves, the kingdom of God leaves as well, because the church is the kingdom of God at this point. After that, the judgment of God begins. God brings judgment upon all those who rejected his message and also against Israel and the nations. That is called in Scripture the day of the Lord. And you read about that through all the Old Testament prophets. You'll read about the day of the Lord. When the judgment is finally done, Jesus Christ has conquered all. He's the conqueror. He walks through the east gate of Jerusalem and establishes his kingdom. The kingdom of heaven is back. God's kingdom has been established on this earth. And for 1,000 years, Jesus Christ reigns. And not only is the kingdom of heaven established, but the kingdom of God comes down with him as well. Because when he comes, he comes as a son of man, the physical ruler. But he also comes as a son of God, the spiritual ruler. And when the second coming occurs and he comes down, who's coming with him? You and I. The spiritual occupants of the kingdom of God on earth come down with him. And both kingdoms are back on earth just like they were in the Garden of Eden. That millennial kingdom is going to be as close to the Garden of Eden as anything that has ever been seen up to that point. The Jews Jews become rulers of the physical kingdom just as God promised to Abraham. And the church becomes heir of the spiritual kingdom. And it was seen that all is well, but not quite. Because as you are also aware, at the end of those thousand years... God allows Satan to take one more shot. He looses him, the Bible tells us, for a little season. And he has one more shot at overthrowing the king and taking the kingdom for himself. That will be the shortest battle in history. (laughs) It won't take any time at all as Jesus Christ conquers Satan once for all and sends him, as the Bible tells us, to his own place. And when he's there, he's there forever. No longer vying for the kingdoms. He has no power, no authority at all. He's gone. And when that's done... The kingdom is complete and the plan of God is fulfilled. That plan that began in the Garden of Eden has come to pass never to be thwarted again because the Bible tells me there is a new heaven and there is a new earth. Israel is placed on the land on earth here and rules over that kingdom forever. 
There is a new Jerusalem, a holy city that comes down out of heaven. And that city rests on this earth. And the bride of Christ, the church, rule in that city over the spiritual kingdom of God. And it's like that for eternity. Israel ruling where God promised them forever, as he said. The church residing in that new Jerusalem forever. And the two kingdoms come together. And God now reigns and reigns over all of it and reigns forever. It started in the book of Genesis, winds up in the book of Revelation, and what God planned occurs just like he planned it. Now, three conclusions. They're on your outline. Number one, we are told in 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 15 to rightly divide the word of truth. That's what this is all about tonight, folks. What we did tonight in a very brief time is rightly divide the word of truth. And I will tell you, if you don't rightly divide it, it's going to affect your doctrine. If you don't get make the difference between the two things, it's going to affect your doctrine. It's going to f- affect what you believe. I mentioned to you a minute ago, if we mix up the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of God, our belief about salvation is going to be affected. As you go through the book of Matthew, you'll see, if you don't understand the difference between the kingdoms, you're going to see works as a way of salvation because it's all through the book of Matthew. If you don't know the difference in the kingdoms, you're going to believe that works are a way to get to heaven. And there are many, 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 many churches who read through the book of Matthew and see those things and begin to develop this work salvation as a result. And that's because they have not made a distinction between the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of God. That book of Matthew is all about the kingdom of heaven. That book of Matthew is all about the millennial kingdom doctrinally. There is very little doctrine in the book of Matthew for the church age. We can find a lot of spiritual application but not a lot of doctrine for the church in in that book because it's all about the millennium. How do I know that? We know that by rightly dividing. As we understand the difference in the kingdoms and separate those things out, we then realize that Matthew is not about uh, the kingdom of God whatsoever. Here's number two. What is our message to the world? Our message is not a social gospel. Our message is not one of bettering people through government and social programs. We're not called specifically to meet people's physical needs. I talked to a pastor not so long ago. He's a pastor of a church here in the area. And they believe very much so that they need to promote this gay, this, this pride movement because they believe by promoting the pride movement, it's going to make life better for those people in that movement. And so therefore, they preach from the pulpit and they have people come in who promote that movement. You know why they're doing that? Because they think if they make people better, the world's going to get better. <laughs> it doesn't work that way. It doesn't work that way. You see, folks, I'm not called here on this earth to meet people's physical needs. That is not my first call. And now, again, if we can do that, that's wonderful. That may be part of what we do. But listen to me, that is all part of the gospel of the kingdom of heaven. My message is one of spiritual healing through a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Again, we are to change people on the inside. Anything else that I do is not dealing with man's problem. No matter what it might be, no matter how good it might be, if I don't get them to see Jesus Christ and what he has done for them, I can meet all the physical needs I want to, and I may use that to get them the gospel. But if that's all I do, I'm not doing anything for them. I'm giving them false hope. We must never lose sight of the fact that we are ministers of the gospel of the kingdom of God. That is your message. And that message is a, of the kingdom of God is salvation through heart change, through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Number three, everything's right on schedule. Everything's right on time. God is in charge. He's working his plan. Things may be going on around us that we don't understand, but there's no panic in heaven whatsoever. God is not wringing his hands saying, I didn't see that coming. He's not doing that whatsoever. 
No panic whatsoever. Step by step, God is fulfilling what he started 6,000 years ago. And just to kind of clue you in, I've read the last chapter. It all turns out okay. (laughs) All turns out okay. So, two reasons for this. Number one, let's get our doctrine straight. Number two, don't despair. Don't worry. Stay faithful. Get as many people as you possibly can into the kingdom of God. Just do the work God has called you to. It's all going to turn out okay. Guarantee you. Guarantee you. All right. Stand as you would.